today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Ontario's finance minister says an independent commission that probed the province's books has found that the government ran a multi-billion dollar deficit in the last fiscal year. In a speech to the Economic Club in Toronto today's first major address since becoming the finance minister in Ontario, Vic Fideli says the previous Liberal government did not balance the budget as it reported. And he said that the commission's findings factored in the province's public account shows a $3.7 billion deficit in 2017-18. Well, let's bring in our first guest. His name is Richard Brennan, no stranger to CHML, retired journalist with the Toronto Star and uh, has covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill as well during his time. Richard, good afternoon. How are you? Just fine, yourself? Not too bad. Thanks for coming on today. Um, Not much of a surprise here at all, right? Well, every government I've ever covered, time immemorial, I guess, has come out within weeks or, or few months after being elected saying you'll never believe the books are, are this bad and they go on and on and on i can remember you know going back to well the 19 uh, you know 80s and otherwise otherwise but in this case i i think there's something to it i i don't think it's just uh hyperbole i think there's actually a case to be made that the liberal government just overspent and never accounted for that spending. And, and are, are you thinking right. that because the difference is so wide? So the Liberals projected a $6.7 billion deficit. Uh, Fidelity and his team has found that it's going to be more like $15 billion. Well, a bit of both. I, but I'm, I'm going to refer back to oh, over a year ago, or about a year ago, when the Auditor General did a story, or did a report, I should say, an investigation into how the government, that then liberal government, was hiding expenses. And in this, in this case, it was uh, electricity. They actually established a arm's length agency and, and foisted all the debt from OPG otherwise onto, onto this agency. And so it, it didn't show up in the books. And I never believed for a second that that budget of a couple of years ago now, they said was balanced. There, I have to agree with Vic. There is no bloody way it was balanced. It was just, it was basically trickery. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. And uh, I recall Bonnie Lissick, I think it was either this spring or, or sometime last year, basically saying that, uh, agreeing with that fact, but the Liberals came back and said, well, we have, a, uh, you know, uh, on a, uh, I think the, the phrase was different accounting practices, or, or they're, they're not comparing apples to apples, but it turns out that uh, they, they were, and they were just hiding all these costs. Well, in one case, with, when I talk about the uh, electricity, they were counting debt as asset. Right. I mean, hey, look at I went to journalism because I can't add. <laughs> but the point is, that makes no sense to me or anybody else. And, and uh, another thing they, they did, I'm, I'm trying to think of what it was now, where they didn't include uh, money on the books. And it'll come to me in a second. But it's been, it's been a litany of this for quite a while. And I don't know 15 
billion dollars or what it is. You know, and they've only had six weeks to look at it, so that that makes me a little suspect. But on the other hand, I believe that the debt is far worse than they uh, originally than the Liberal government originally reported. The uh, the the win Liberals were uh, decimated in the last uh, provincial election on uh, on June seventh. Does this damage the party, the party's brand, uh, that, that big red L? Does it damage it even further? Well, I don't know if it can damage it any further. Uh, you know, it's as unflattering as it might seem that, you know, they called the, the what, the van, van uh, party because everybody could fit in a van. It's, it's not going to help, but people have short memories. Believe me, voters have... Tr- very bad memories when it comes to how uh, the previous government acted or that. But it's not good for them, let's put it that way, because they weren't forthright in recognizing or telling the public what exactly the numbers were, what the books actually showed. And I never, like I said, I never believed that that when the Liberal government said that they balanced the books. It's I was incredulous, quite frankly, when they said they had, because I knew that they hadn't. I, I know what I was thinking of the other in pensions. Pensions is money that you owe. You 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 can't classify it as an asset. And they did. Mm-hmm. And and the auditor took them to task for it. In terms of, uh, because before the uh, the provincial election, the Liberals were promising to spend, uh, I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars on everything from health care to, uh, you know, helping uh, people find jobs and, and whatnot. Um, I'm not sure where they were going to get that money from, seeing that we're so deep in the red. Well, that's where we're just go- going deeper into the red. That's where they're getting it. it. You can't, as the Liberals, you know, in, in a way, God bless them, they were trying to help people. But you can't be all things to all people. And that's where the liberals went wrong, because they were trying to basically make Ontario this utopia. Wouldn't that be great in terms of you know, the way of living and everything else? But every time they brought out a new program, a social program, or whatever it might have been, it cost money, big money, and we didn't have the money to pay for it. How much attention do you think regular uh, voter out there is paying attention to a story like this as, you know, the Conservatives are coming out and saying, hey, you know what, our calculators work much better than the Liberals. We found all this more uh, more money in the in, in the wrong side of the ledger. Do you think that the, the regular consumer of news is looking at this story and heaping praise on the Conservatives, or are they expecting this sort of thing as we kind of started this discussion? Oh, I think they, you know, expect it because they've known they've known governments forever have done this kind of thing. But it, this will be a one-day wonder. Uh, nobody, nobody, two weeks from now, if it's even that long, will remember. It's just that they know. Oh, yeah, the liberals weren't weren't being forthright, and uh, that's exactly what I thought. And it'll be, it'll just go. But people have their lives to live. They got, you know, they have so much today on their plate that. You know, whatever the whatever the government report says, we'll stick with them for about a nanosecond. <laughs> Conservatives also commissioning a line by line audit of government spending. That's supposed to be done uh, in a few weeks. So I'm I'm anticipating we're going to hear more of these kind of 
uh, figures that have kind of gone awry under the previous liberal regime. Well, of course they're going to they're going to ride this pony till it drops. There's no question. How, however, you know it's it really sets the government up too because during the election he promised uh, he being uh, Premier Ford promised that there would be no cuts. Nobody's going to lose their job, and now they're saying. This is, you know, we're, we're all going to have to dig deep on this. We're all going to have to share the pain. Well, you can't find that kind of money without cutting programs, without cutting jobs. This so-called efficiencies is just baloney. Well, 22 councillors in Toronto just lost their jobs. Yeah, and is right. it going to, you know, is it going to save the, the 25 million that uh, that the that the uh, conservatives said? Not a chance. No. It's again. You can't, you can't make these promises when you're that far indebted, and that's the next, the next shoe to drop. It might not be right away. Will be cuts, and they'll be dramatic. Well, during the election campaign, Premier Ford uh, had said that you know they're going to find six billion dollars in efficiencies. Do you anticipate that's going to grow to fifteen billion? Well, I never believed it when it was six billion, so I'm certainly <laughs> not going to believe it was fifty. Right? It's just, it just, it's just political blustering. That's all it is. Efficiencies. I've heard every government since, uh, you know, since I started covering politics when Bill Davis was the premier. The point is, say, you know, efficiencies. We're going to find efficiencies and blah blah blah, and they never do. They never do. And they're not going to find six billion dollars in efficiencies. I think what Hamilton and other, uh, for example, Hamilton and other cities, uh, be it Mississauga, anybody who's waiting for money for a transit line, I'm convinced you can kiss that money goodbye. Uh-oh. I didn't want to go down this route. <laughs> no, well, no, but I, I, I really believe that. Yeah. I don't, if you're looking for $6 billion, there's, you know, there's over a billion dollars in Mississauga and there's a billion dollars in, in Hamilton. And... You know, people, uh, Hamilton fluctuates from one day to another as to whether they like the LRT or not. So it may be, I'm, I'm convinced that uh, that money is just going to disappear. It, if, I mean, if those projects go ahead, and even if they don't, uh, finding efficiencies when it comes to government, uh, do they not go down that road because they simply can't find those efficiencies without making massive, uh, life-changing cuts, and they don't do it because politically it would be political suicide? Well, they, they're going to do it, but they started telling people it was going to be efficiencies because that's less scary. Right. Well, efficiencies means, you know, I'm going to have stop having uh, a coffee at Tim's every day, and I might go every third day. You know, that's kind of efficiencies that people think about. But this is going to be at $15 billion, if you believe it for a second, is going to be tough on this government, and it's going to be tough on on the civil service and programs. That's the only way, and I mean the only way, you can get that kind of money is through deep cuts. Well, we'll see if their math makes sense and how they implement all these uh, efficiencies. Richard, always appreciate the time. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Okay, Rick. Thanks a lot. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Joining us now is the president and founder of Canadians Veterans Advocacy, Michael Blay. Michael, good afternoon. 
Good afternoon. Thanks for inviting me to speak on this issue. Right. We, we heard this clip. We we played a clip earlier of uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying that uh, veterans are asking for more than the government is able to give. All the while, hundreds of million dollars uh, of unspent money are sitting within the coffers of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, why the disconnect? What's going on? Well, I don't know what the disconnect is, but it's very damn unfortunate. I mean, we're dealing at a time and a third year into a mandate after the Prime Minister of Canada made significant promises to me, to Barry Westholm, and to all veterans who were disenfranchised by the new Veterans Charter. And now we're three years in, the lifetime pension has not been addressed, wherein there is a state of equality between veterans who fought in the same war, for God's sakes, you know. And, and, you know, despite all the promises, despite the, the minister of the day coming out, whether it's Minister Hare or Minister O'Regan uh, boasting about how much they're doing for veterans, the reality is Veterans Affairs Canada is in a sad state, that there are serious program deficiencies, that, you know, veterans are waiting well beyond the 16, 16 weeks for education, sometimes 40 weeks, sometimes over a year. You know, my God, I was at a regimental reunion in Kingston this past summer, uh, the Royal Canadian Regiment. We've been blooded very seriously in Afghanistan. And I was astonished or appalled, take your pick, on how many veterans from all eras were coming for me. It's not just Afghanistan. It's peacekeeping. It's old. It's new. And across the board, Veterans Affairs are failing these guys. And, and personally, that's why I think that they're returning money to, to Treasury, because they're delaying process. And you can't spend money unless process is brought forward in an expedient and comprehensive manner. And, you know, it, it's very disappointing across the board, you know, and even on the promises that were made and somewhat fulfilled, you know, I'll give you an example, the $100 million, the, the government came out with a settlement uh, earlier last week in reference to those they were clawing back, they were, they were taking away their national sacrifice award as income loss replacement and and you know 100 million dollars well that's not full restitution and uh, to, to, to make matters all the more galling you know they actually made the veterans pay 17 million dollars out of that that 100 million dollars for the lawyers even though we won it seems that every time we get something forward that there's there, there, there's a breach in the promise that was made. And, and, you know, we have issues with mental health. You know, you've probably reported on suicides or, or even worse, murder suicides. You know, this government promised uh, tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars for a center of excellence, inclusive of an inpatient facility where we have doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists that are trained in the nuances of war, that are trained in the nuances of keeping, uh, maintaining the peace in a genocidal region that can apply the, the, the respite and time before we're confronted with my regimental brother, Lesmond Desmond, going, going for help in Nova Scotia, being turned away because of a lame excuse there was no bed. And, you know, the catastrophic result was four lives, not one life. And, and this just has to stop. You know, I mean, we, I was up there last week. Uh, you know, the, the, these people who have been 
poisoned by this mefloquine, this anti-malarial drug that that uh, eventually resulted in the horror of 25 years ago in Somalia, where where these men and women were all not by choice, but by order, you know, provided this very dangerous quinine family drug. The consequences were profound, not only to those who who suffered adverse consequences like Clayton Matchey and, and Kyle Brown and Yeshenid Owen, but, but the entire Airborne Regiment that was disbanded when they were trying to do their best in a situation where this government sent them in an impaired state. I mean, that's unconscionable. You know, I, I, I spoke to uh, General Romeo or Senator Dallaire at the time, you know, about his experiences in Rwanda, how this drug had impaired his thought process, how it, how it, how it made it almost impossible for him to be in a command decision. So, you know, now we have sweep it under the rug. We don't want to talk about it. It's not time. Well, it is time, and it's time to... Hold this government to account, frankly, because, you know, we speak of betrayals. And I can think of no, no greater betrayal than what is occurring now to our veterans, because we were in a very sad state of affairs under the conservative government. And this government came forward, Mr. Trudeau, again personally to me on the lifetime pension on other issues, promised full restitution. And now, now we have a government that is failing significantly on our on our on the promise that they made and is frankly alienating a great segment of the veterans community that actually voted for them during the last election. Michael, let me interject because we're running out of time here. We yeah. only got about a minute. What has to happen? What do you want to see happen? Oh, we're going to a stakeholder summit there. You know, I'd like to see the, the minister now come out and say, listen, we have serious problems. We're willing to deal with it. First of all, with the lifetime pension. And, you know, I've always believed this is where the liberal government made the greatest strategic mistake. They should have fulfilled the promise on the lifetime pension immediately. You know, that extra money would have eased the burden as we go through process of bringing forward on these other promises, particularly now that we see how how hard they are due to criteria to access and how restricted they are and in and, and, and respect to being compensated. So there, there needs to be a mindset uh, reset at, at Veterans Affairs at the bureaucratic level. General Natinchik either has to get a grip on this situation, bring these, uh, these times within to conformance, or he should be replaced. I mean, my God, if he was, if I was acting or performing at the level that he is now, and he was my boss in the military, he would have had me canned. And frankly, you know, we've given him three years. It's time for everyone to be held to account at Veterans Affairs Canada and for this nation to stand behind the veterans, those who have suffered so much for you and me, who stood on guard for you and me at their time of need. And that time is now. Prior to the next election, justin.trudeau at parl.gc.ca. Everyone listening can embrace your sacred obligation by just telling the prime minister, you made a promise on the lifetime pension to, to those who are our veterans. You're not fulfilling it. You're not getting my vote next year until you do. Michael, appreciate the time. I'm plumb out of it. We are glad to talk to you today, and we'll talk to you down the road. Good luck with this campaign. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We all know that the Hamilton Bulldogs had a phenomenal season last year when all the way to the Memorial Cup were oh so close from raising that trophy. 
uh, but uh, ended up winning the Ontario Hockey League Championship in just their third season in the league. They open up their regular season tonight in North Bay, and joining us to talk about uh, this exciting night and hopefully an exciting season is the president and general manager of the Hamilton Bulldogs, Steve Steos. Steve, thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure, Rick. What's the weather like in North Bay? Is it snowing yet or what? Well, I'm not quite there, but uh, certainly I got about another hour and 20 minutes. I'm driving. I hope you, uh, you and the listeners can hear me okay, but uh, it certainly started to feel like hockey weather. I mean, I heard the weather report while I was on hold there and the winds and the rains, and that's leading to uh, what uh, what is our favorite time of the year, which is hockey season. As a player entering game number one uh, of a regular season, uh, there's so many possibilities. You know that anything can happen. Confidence is high. Uh, how did you feel as a player going into a regular season, and how is that different as a front office person? Uh, you start with optimism, without a doubt. I think anybody who plays the game is looking for the opportunity to to go out as a team and win and uh, and build a group moving forward, and uh, hopefully you get to. Uh, you know, a high level. And so optimism, probably a lot of nerves, especially for our group. We have four 2002 birth year players that will be in our lineup, and uh, we're quite excited about it. We uh, uh, we have a real good mix with our group with the 99s, uh, you know, some veteran core guys and a really good crop of young players coming in. But overall, it's optimism, it's excitement, it's, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of nerves. But uh, for me, uh, I, I feel all of the above that what we just talked about. Uh, butterflies in there as well because there is some anxiousness you just don't know what's going to happen right yeah anxiousness a little bit but more confidence and excitement i think um you know coming off a championship season like we did rick was uh um you know something that probably we could have projected as far as the timeline we worked very hard at putting a program in place where our players could uh, continue to develop and uh, but now that we have the program in place, I think we have some confidence as well and uh, in, in what we're doing. And uh, I think the players, for as far as just the sort of the chemistry and the style of play, I've been pleased with what I've seen through the preseason and in the practice time uh, leading up to the game tonight. Uh, the Ontario Hockey League is uh, always about change. Every uh, season or two, uh, the, there's a lot of new players, a lot of new faces on the team because uh, players graduate to other leagues, be it the NHL or whatnot. Uh, other players go their, their separate ways. New guys come into the folds from uh, even below the OHL ranks. Um, your thoughts on the the cycle of the OHL and how much of a challenge it is, but how much of an opportunity is for a lot of these guys? Uh, it's a great question. I mean, I've studied it from a number of different angles, and uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, the traditional, first of all, we didn't, we haven't done anything traditionally, Rick, uh, coming into the league and the way we built our team, and, you know, we made some pretty bold moves to, to get to uh, winning a championship. Um, and I understand what everybody's thoughts are. You know, you win a championship, and you get into the next season, and you sell off all your veterans, and you start all over again. Uh, I'm not convinced that that's the way we're going. Uh, you know, I don't want to uh, underestimate this group. Um, I think we have a terrific group of players. We have some good young players coming in. And until, you know, a lot of it, I think, in junior hockey for me is the players are going to dictate to me what, what they want, what, where we're, we're at as far as uh, uh, where our team is in our build. I mean, again, last year at the beginning of the season when we were talking, it was probably not going to be a season at first where we were – totally optimistic about going forward and, and adding to it, but the players um, 
showed me that uh, they were ready for it, and it was my obligation to go out and get the players and put some things in place for them to have an opportunity to, to, to go out and win an OHL championship. And to their credit, they did. And coaching staff put the game plan together, and the players executed. So um, that, I, I, you know, in a roundabout way to answer your question, traditionally that would be what would happen. I'm not convinced that that's the way to do it. And we want to tra- see if we can buck the trend, still being responsible, but buck the trend of uh, – of the cycle that uh, that's been in place here in junior hockey, with the guys who are returning, uh, do you see yourself? Uh, obviously, depending on how this season goes, do you see yourself adding as opposed to deleting uh, sometime this season? And, and that's the question that we I can't answer at this point, Rick. It's uh, something that I think will come to fruition as we watch this team play. I believe we're a highly competitive team. Um, you know, if players play to their expectations or above it. Uh, you know, we could be in that situation. And if people look at our draft grid and say, well, you know, you have to replace uh, some of those picks, certainly that might be the case. But we also feel very comfortable with uh, the depth in our 2001 draft and there are also our 2002s that uh, we're going to have a – I've signed four of our 2002 players up in the list point. I still think that there's a few that will be able to play in our league next year and we'll go about looking at signing them as well. So – um, we have a good crop of young players coming in, and uh, we'll kind of we'll, we'll see where it all falls uh, as the season kind of progresses here. Our guest is Hamilton Bulldogs president and general manager Steve Steos. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Rick in for Scott today. Uh, probably the biggest change this offseason has been behind the bench, where John Gruden is now an assistant with the New York Islanders. Burlington native David Matzos gets a promotion, and now he's the head coach. What are you expecting out of him and, and the team? Well, I mean, Dave's a highly qualified coach and has been a head coach in this league and has a great experience in this league. Uh, I think his delivery is going to be a little bit different than, than John. They have different personalities. Um, where I feel comfortable is uh, the style of play and the, our program with the development piece and, uh, you know, off-ice off conditioning. I feel like it's going to be a seamless transition for Dave to go in there and assert himself as head coach. He's already done a terrific job of managing the group and getting them prepared for the start of the season. Um, further to that, as far as the transition of the, the players coming in, we were in a fortunate situation last year where we had four or five players uh, with our group through the championship run that weren't in uh, in playing time in games, but they were part of the group as uh, uh, as practice players and got to see what it's like. So, I'm, you know, the, the thought there when you build the program is you have uh, more of a seamless transition coming in, but Dave has all the qualities to be a terrific head coach in our league, and um, we're going to provide him with all the support that he needs to be able to go in and, and set his game plan and, and lead this team. On the ice, the biggest changes come uh, on the blue line and in goal. Um, what are the expectations there, and, and, and is this the biggest wild card of the team? You just don't know what you're going to get yet. I, it, it's a it's a good question. I mean, I, we have full confidence in Nick Donofrio. Um, you know, he backed up Caden Fulcher last year. His record. Uh, wins losses were, were terrific when he came in for us. It's a, an unenviable task being a backup goaltender. Typically, you get the, the back end of the three and threes and you get the tough matchups. Uh, you might have to come in cold if your starter isn't having a great night. Um, but he's, he's managed to, uh, face each challenge. So it'll be a, it'll be a matter of, uh, of, uh, Nick getting in there and getting comfortable and gaining confidence being the guy. Um, so we have full confidence in him. Zachary Roy comes in as his backup and uh, has been terrific again through training camp uh, as well. 
on the back end, certainly we lose a lot of veteran players, but uh, with the return of Nicholas Madden and uh, Cade Landry, who was one of those players I spoke about earlier, who was part of our group and a terrific player that just couldn't get in the lineup due to the fact that, uh, you know, we're fortunate not to have injuries on the back end. Uh, but he was the number one power play guy in Barry prior to us getting him. So uh, we have a very good player coming in there. DJ King, who's come up from the uh, U.S. program, uh, who we drafted two years ago, uh, who has local ties to our city. His, his dad, Derek, played in the National Hockey League, was born and raised in Hamilton, um, is going to come in. Jake Gravel, another player who was uh, part of our group last year that didn't get in, uh, you know, is, is ready to take the next step. And the exciting thing is the 202s on the back end who, uh, you know, sometimes might be overwhelmed at times, but certainly we, we feel comfortable about putting them in these situations or else we wouldn't have signed them and, and had them with our group to start. So uh, Ben Gleason was a, a, a bit of a surprise, I'd say, uh, to some about going in as a free agent and getting an NHL contract with the Dallas Stars. But, um, you know, to us it's a proud moment due to the fact that he's an undrafted player and uh, in our in our system and in our play and how we develop our players was able to make the transition and earn himself an NHL contract. So um, definitely, I think from a depth perspective, I think we'll we end up adding a defenseman at some point here, uh, but comfortable going into the season with where we're at, Rick. That Gleason story is really the yin and yang of OHL hockey. You want to obviously retain some of your best players, but when you see them achieve their dream, I mean, that's what it's all about. Well, most definitely. Listen, I mean, we uh, we'll we'll be able to recover. Uh, not easy to replace a player like Ben Gleason, but you want to talk about a great story. And for any parents or kids who are out there that uh, you know feel like things aren't going their way in hockey, uh, you know, we got Ben from the London Knights, and he wasn't getting any playing time there. Uh, you know, was bypassed the draft two years in a row, <laughs> and just stuck with it. He's got a real passion for the game and. We wanted to empower him with the confidence and all the tools he needed to develop. Um, I was in Traverse City during the rookie tournament uh, due to the fact that I'm managing our world junior team and taking a look, an early look at some of our world junior hopefuls. And Ben was in that tournament, and he played so well and is deserving of a contract. Uh, so, yeah, you're right, Rick. There's a yin and yang, of course. Ben Gleason in our lineup would have looked pretty damn good uh, going into the season. But at the same point, um, it offers the opportunity for the Cade Landrys and the Jake Gravels and the DJ Kings and Nicholas Madness to take a step forward and also some playing time for our young O2s who we feel are going to be very, very good players uh, with some maturity and with some uh, experience. Another player that uh, Bulldogs fans are certainly uh, keeping their eye on is uh, Robert Thomas, the uh, OHL playoff MVP from last season. Any update on him? Is there any chance that he could be coming back? Well, you know, I mean, we, we, I'm going on the assumption that we're not going to get the player back. Uh, and, and we and we felt the same way with Brandon Sajan or anybody who was at NHL camps. And, you know, we're, we got Brandon back, which is a real boost for our lineup. Uh, uh, but as far as Robert Thomas, I don't, I don't think we're going to see him back in Hamilton. And unless we're told differently, uh, we'll go about our business and building the, the team in that fashion. I mean, if Robert Thomas comes back, uh, to me, he's not only the best player in the Ontario Hockey League, but maybe in the CHL. Uh, you know, I have my eye on him as well for our World Junior team. But um, th- these are decisions that are outside of our control, uh, whether it be for me being the president general manager in Hamilton with the Bulldogs or managing our Canadian World Junior team. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But, uh, you know, he's a terrific player, and uh, what a pickup for our team. I mean, he came in and did everything that we asked of him was – 
spectacular, and our fans really enjoyed watching a real superstar player right in our backyard develop and, and uh, turn pro, uh, help us win a championship. He was one of uh, uh, many players who performed at a high level, and winning the MVP was was terrific. So um, that's where we are with him. We're going to continue to grow, Rick, as uh, as we won't get Robert Thomas back until uh, notified, uh, you know, another one. Talk about managing the the junior squad and your bulldog squad. Uh, you know the tournament doesn't happen until uh, you know December, but you know at that point in time, that, that's going to be a balancing act. Yeah, well, I, you know it's it's a it's a big commitment. There's no doubt, uh, and uh, you know I couldn't be more proud to to have that honor of managing our team. Um, at the same time, feel very comfortable. I'll, I'll leave December ninth, and uh, we'll be back until January sixth, and have to you know cover the Canada Russia series games across Canada. Uh, as well, so I will be spending a little bit of time away from the team. But Ian Mahar has been an incredible pickup for our group, and doesn't get a lot of, uh, you know, uh, real publicity as far as the work that he does. But um, he's more than capable of managing the team while I'm away. I'll obviously keep tabs on the team and be in contact with our group on a daily basis. But at the same time, uh, your focus starts to shift during that time uh, to, to our World Juniors, an exciting tournament that every Canadian wakes up uh, on Boxing Day morning excited about, but Ian Mahar will be more than capable of, uh, of managing our group as we uh, during that time. Might also see a couple of Bulldogs on the Canadian Junior Team? Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, Mackenzie Antwistle <laughs> certainly had a terrific uh, summer evaluation camp, and uh, he's the type of player uh, from a lot of perspectives that we covet uh, with our World Junior Team and with Hockey Canada. I mean, from a work ethic and character uh uh, type of player, there's there's no one better. Um, the fact that he can play center and right wing is a benefit not only to himself uh, and the value to our group. Uh, you, I mean, he's a, a player that uh, is a fle- as a flex player, as we can say, can play in all different situations in a game, but also uh, can play uh, not only situations but different positions as well. So, um, you know, he's uh, amongst many. We have, uh, you know, we're very fortunate in our country to have, as everybody knows a terrific uh, uh, group of players that uh, we can choose from for the World Junior Tournament, but certainly he was he's a player that uh, our group will keep an eye on for the World Juniors. In terms of attracting more fans after a, a ultra-successful season, has it been easier this summer to do so? I, I, it's just as continuing. We're continuing to progress, Rick. We, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we look to get better both uh, – with our hockey ops department, uh, you know, our front office and uh, with our sales crew and our, our marketing. Every every day we go to work and we try and get better. we got a terrific culture where we're, we empower uh, all of our people to try and get better. And there's certainly, I think that, uh, as you can see, we've really, uh, and we're a proud moment for me being from Hamilton and born and raised, is that uh, um, junior hockey is, is alive and well in Hamilton, where I know there's some questions coming in. Uh, due to the fact that there has been some uh, less than successful stories of junior franchises in Hamilton. But we feel from not only from a hockey perspective, but also from a community perspective that we're, we're really starting to leave our mark and, uh, and uh, you know, build, build that connection with the community, with the city, and with our fans. I don't think that there's a better value to come down to the first Ontario Centre and take in a, an OHL hockey game with not only from the hockey ops perspective and watching young players develop in our backyard, but also the fans and the kids and you know everything we do in and around the rink and um it's it's a good time i mean people i i, I have i've yet to come down um 
from the press box at the end of the game and, and, and meet some of our fans on the way out, win or lose, uh, people are really enjoying the fact that junior hockey, the OHL, is here and, and we're part of the community. Steve, good luck tonight. Good luck this season. Uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the game. Look forward to it. Look forward to seeing everybody September 30th. Another proud moment. I mean, 2 p.m. game and we're raising a banner that, uh, you know, uh, OHL championship. And for me, Rick, it's a, a chance for me to reflect and, and be able to take it all in because it's been a busy summer. But uh, looking forward to sharing that moment with our fans one more time. That'll be fun. Bulldogs uh, in Ottawa at First Ontario Centre, September 30th. That'll be fun. The season should be fun. Again, enjoy the, uh, enjoy the game and enjoy the season. Appreciate it, Rick. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.